We have all heard of a good old urban legend, and we can sometimes appreciate the creativity it took to create them, the good scare it gives us, and sometimes the moral interpretations we get from them. But what happens when an urban legend about a deranged man that kidnaps and murders children, specifically intellectually challenged children, is revealed to be real? According to the Insider article Creepy Urban Legends from Every State, the story of Cropsy is the most terrifying legend in New York, and I, a native New Yorker, just wanted to dive deep into this topic because I haven't heard of it, but boy, is it creepy. Before we discuss the terrifying Cropsy urban legend, I just wanted to ask you guys to please consider subscribing to my channel because I post videos every single week, sometimes twice a week like this week, on the spine-chilling conspiracy paranormal topics that you want to hear. In addition to videos like this, I also have Cauldron Convos, which is a longer form content podcast with a co-host where we talk about the same crazy topic, so make sure to hit subscribe so you can, you know, hear about the important things every single week because if we're not talking about it, who is? Now we're gonna start lightly with the legend of Cropsy, just what it was, but then once we get warmed up a little bit, we're gonna go dive into the real hard truth about the actual serial killer from Staten Island that uh, did some pretty messed up stuff. So make sure to stay tuned for the second half of this video. Now there are actually a few iterations of the legend of Cropsy, but the first one apparently popped up in the 70s. One of the most classic iterations is that Cropsy was actually a man that escaped an asylum. He had a hook for a hand and would even bring children down into the tunnels of an abandoned tuberculosis sanitarium called Sea View Hospital. And if you haven't been to an abandoned TB sanatorium, don't go. I've been. <laughs> now, a summer camp variation of the legend actually inspired the movie The Burning, which is produced by Harvey Weinstein, so if you plan on watching it, don't. <laughs> now, in this legend, Crosby goes insane after a prank leaves him disfigured, and he, you know, wants to wreak havoc and seek revenge on the camp counselors of a camp, and he chases children with an axe when he murders them. Now, this is where the legend gets a little wishy-washy here. Apparently, Cropsy either stalked children at a sleepaway camp, or a psychiatric hospital, or a children's hospital. So either Cropsy is getting around in multiple places, or the game of telephone uh, left this legend to be a little fuzzy. There was actually a documentary called Cropsy that came out in 2009 that linked this serial killer to the urban legend in Staten Island. One of the directors of the documentary, Joshua Zeman, notes that many kids that he grew up with in Staten Island and including himself, was very scared of the legend of Cropsy. Specifically, they were really scared of the woods around Willowbrook School. Now, Willowbrook State School was a state-supported institution for children with intellectual disabilities located in the Willowbrook neighborhood of Staten Island. Now, in the documentary, Joshua actually recalls an iteration of this urban legend and it derived from an expose on the school Willowbrook in 1972 that showed the horrific conditions of this state asylum. According to the expose, just one attendant was responsible for 50 plus severely intellectually disabled children. And I saw some of the clips myself and it was very disturbing. Now, it wasn't until about 10 years later that the state school actually shut down. However, the school was left abandoned and there were rumors circulating Staten Island, specifically kids talking about former patients or students of the school were confused when it closed down and ended up winding back to the abandoned state asylum as squatters living there in the tunnels 
in decrepit buildings. Now many kids explore these abandoned tunnels and the legend of Cropsey just kind of grew stronger. But parents of the children of Staten Island would actually use Cropsey as an urban legend to get their kids kind of scared and to get them to, you know, come home before their curfew ended and to get them to avoid dangerous neighborhoods and other things basically as a tactic to scare them to make sure that they weren't getting into trouble or else Cropsey would kill them. <laughs> A typical scare tactic that a parent would give to their children, is this okay to do? I don't know. I feel like that's wrong. I feel like that could traumatize a kid. I feel like I've definitely been traumatized by some weird things my parents used to tell me that aren't true. I remember specifically my dad told me that if I ate sunflower seeds, a sunflower would grow in my stomach. And I believed that for like five years. Like I was traumatized. Now every time I eat sunflower seeds, I just, never mind. I can't talk about it too soon. I mean, good thing it's not my problem. I'm not a parent, so I don't have to deal with whether it's moral or not to scare your children into avoiding serial killers and coming home on time. And also camp counselors would tell this to their campers around a nice little campfire as a scary spooky story and also as ways to, you know, scare them too. So they would go to bed on time and not explore the woods by themselves. Now, according to the documentary Cropsey, the legend of Cropsey turned out to be Staten Island's worst nightmare. Now the legend that they used to use as a scary story to tell around a sweet little campfire to make s'mores and a tactic that parents would use to scare their children into coming home on time ended up turning horrifically true. In 1972, five-year-old Alice Pereira went missing. Now, the prime suspect of this case was a man named Andre Rand. Now, Andre Rand was actually born as Frank Russian, but because of so many troubles with the law, he ended up changing his name a couple of times. And according to his sister, he was not abused by a child. By a child. According to his sister, he was not abused or neglected as a child. He was not molested as a child, though his father did pass away at the age of 14. Not the father. Obviously, <laughs> he had him at 12 and when he was 14, his father did pass away and his mother was later checked into a large psychiatric hospital, one of the largest at the time. And from 1966 to 1968, Andre actually worked as a custodian and a physical therapist. I don't know how you can do both. I feel like that's, I don't know. I guess they were short on staff at a state school called, you guessed it, Willowbrook, the same school that some of the iterations of Cropsey focused on. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the expose on the school actually caused it to eventually shut down, in which case Andre was out of job and he was actually living in the woods around the school. Now, there were definitely a lot of red flags about Andre and his background, and I actually can't believe that he wasn't jailed sooner or mentally evaluated or something because I feel like these are very concerning criminal records. For example, in 1969, he attempted to rape a nine-year-old girl. Luckily, he was caught in time to prevent the matter. However, he pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of sexual misconduct, which resulted in him being jailed for 16 months, which not enough. Honestly, in 1972, like I mentioned earlier, Alice Pereira vanished, which started the known disappearances linked to Andre Rand. In 1979, Rand was accused of sexually assaulting a young woman as well as a 15-year-old girl, but they for some reason dropped the charges, so he wasn't charged or put in jail for this crime. In 1981, another girl named Holly Ann Hughes, who was only seven, was also found missing. And eyewitnesses reported they saw Rand pull up to Holly and her friend and pulled Holly into his Volkswagen and drove off with her. But since there was no other evidence, he wasn't charged with her disappearance until 2004. 
over 20 years later. In 1983, when Andre was 39 years old, he picked up 11 children from the YMCA in a bus, asked them to come play, go get food with him, whatever, ended up going to White Castle, and then took them to Newark Airport for some weird reason. Not sure if this is connected, not sure if he wanted to take them on a plane somewhere, but given that he was homeless, I'm not sure how much he was connected to the child trafficking industry. Luckily, none of the children were harmed and police caught him and he was jailed for that for 10 months, which I don't even think that's enough time. I think that's very weird and they definitely should have been required to do multiple mental health evaluations on this man. If you're taking a bus of 11 children you don't know to White Castle and Newark Airport and you only spend 10 months in jail, but people are jailed for possession of marijuana for like 20 years? Are you kidding me? What's going on? Now, just 12 days after he was released from prison, another young girl unfortunately disappeared in Staten Island. Her name was Thais Jackson, and she was reported missing after her mother sent her to purchase some food and she never came back. And he was questioned immediately, but again, they had no hard evidence, so he was eventually let go. In 1984, Hank Gaforio was reported missing after he did not come home. Gaforio was mentally impaired and had a low IQ of 70. At the time of his disappearance, he was 22. Now, eyewitnesses reported that they last saw Gaforio with Rand in a local diner in the early morning hours but his body was never found and hasn't been found yet. Rand was also not charged with the disappearance of Hank. Then, in 1987, a child with Down syndrome, Jennifer Schweiger, went missing. There were many organized searches to find Jennifer. They would look in the tunnels, in the parks, in the forest, in the woods of Staten Island, but couldn't find her for about a month. Now, two witnesses confirmed that they saw Jennifer walking around with a middle-aged man, and they described him to have a woman's green bicycle with a basket on it. Now, a resident of Staten Island actually saw Rand in a grocery store. He noticed him because of his previous record, and he saw him buying baby food in the grocery store, and also returning on a green bicycle with a basket. Rand was taken in and questioned yet again, but they didn't have solid evidence to charge him, so they had to release him yet again. Now, Staten Island now had rumors swirling around that Andre was actually working with someone else and maybe hiding Jennifer in the tunnel system of this school to transport her at nighttime when the searchers weren't looking everywhere. Finally, a retired firefighter that was volunteering in the search noticed clay balls in a certain area, and after digging under that spot, they did find Jennifer's body. Her body was found just 150 yards away from a campsite that they later confirmed was Andre's. He was charged with kidnapping for this crime. However, because jurors couldn't reach a verdict, he was not charged with the murder of Jennifer. His charge of kidnapping landed him 25 years to life in prison. Now, after Jennifer's confirmed kidnapping and murder, police started digging up and looking back into the cases of the disappearances of children on Staten Island. Staten. Staten Island. Staten Island. <laughs> In 2004, Rand was brought to trial again and was charged with the kidnapping of Holly. He was sentenced to another 25 years in prison, meaning that he isn't eligible for parole until 2037, aka when he is 93 years old. So we're all assuming that he will just pass away in jail. I was going to say something brutal, but I don't want him ever watching this on a flip phone in jail and then writing me a letter because he does that. He apparently wrote weird letters to ladies on Mother's Day. Now, people claim that Rand was actually involved in satanic rituals and that he was part of a cult. 
they claim that he would kidnap these children for satanic rituals. And in the documentary, they show multiple buildings covered in graffiti with satanic symbols, satanic phrases. The documentary can't conclude, is it actually a cult practicing satanic rituals in this abandoned state asylum? Or is it just kids of Staten Island playing some jokes or, you know, going through their angsty phase because we've all had that teenage dirtbag phase. I don't know why I was Southern when I said that. Yeehaw. Some other people note that he was actually a leader of the underground homeless people that lived in the tunnels of this school and that he would give the children away to his homeless friends. And Jennifer's family actually received letters from an anonymous source stating that Rand was in fact supplying these children to the Church of the Process, which if you don't know, it was founded by two former Scientology members and it was essentially a satanic church that now claims that it's not in practice anymore, at least not the founders. And the founder of the Church of the Process actually is uh, living in Staten Island. However, it was found out who wrote this anonymous letter, and uh, apparently she is actually a Christian figure in Staten Island that people actually follow, but she claims that she's had visions of this, and it's not, like, confirmed. She has confirmed evidence. It's just kind of like, she saw the devil, and she saw Rand with the devil, and that's how she knows that he's satanic. So... Who knows? And some people will even claim that Rand is actually not guilty at all. Maybe they have the wrong guy. And to this day, Rand won't say that he is guilty. Now, before the documentary was released, the directors of the documentary actually had contact with Rand himself. They had multiple phone calls with him and letter correspondences. And they actually went to visit him because he agreed, but he stood them up. So they weren't able to get anything out of that visit. And when they went to interview his sister, his sister said that Rand only reaches out to her when he needs something and that he is most likely manipulating them. Another theory is that Rand wanted to cleanse the world of mentally ill children. Now, I do believe that he is guilty. However, there is a part of me that wonders if there is no real evidence or DNA to prove that he actually murdered them. I'm not positive that I can conclude that he did, but given he was previously charged with sexual misconduct with a nine-year-old girl, I frankly don't care that he's in jail. The story is very sad for the families who lost their children. And it's super upsetting that to this day, they still don't have closure. They don't have the bodies of their children in some cases. I hope you found this once urban legend turned horror story as interesting as I did. And the worst part is that the true story was actually more terrifying than the urban legend. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. I hope you guys liked it. If you did, make sure to hit that subscribe button, comment because I reply to every single comment that I get. Like this video and I'll see you guys next time. And make sure to check out Cauldron Convos. We would love to have you. It's a little bit more goofier than this one. <laughs>